All right, hey, we're going to get started real quick by seeing if we were paying attention to that last song. It's one of my favorite songs. I love to sing it. I'm grateful that they sang it this morning. Uh, it was sort of an accident. Like, God worked it out. We, we didn't intend for this to, to back up. But, but think about the words of that last song and finish this sentence for me. Lord, there is nothing that is better than Lord, there's nothing that's better than you. And so as we sang that to God just a second ago, over and over and over, if, if we believe that and if we know that to be true, it means that the no experience we can have is better than God, that, that there's nothing we can see, smell, taste, touch, nothing else that, that we could know on this earth, in this world, or in all of eternity that compares with knowing God with being in a, a relationship with him where we know him, where we see him, where we can experience him and do life with him. It's an absolutely incredible thing. And my prayer this morning is this, is that we open up our Bibles, that, that we will see and know that, that nothing compares to knowing God. If you've got your Bible, open up to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to continue what our church family has been in for several weeks now. We're in a series in the middle of the Ten Commandments. So open to Exodus chapter 20. Verse 14, and we're going to walk through the next commandment together and again see that there's nothing better than knowing God. And, and if you're new with us this morning, that the context of the Ten Commandments is this. The people of God had been in slavery, the nation of Israel, in Egypt for hundreds of years. They had been crying out for God to come and rescue them, and finally God does. He hears their cries, and in his perfect timing, God delivers the people of Israel through this incredible series of miracles and takes them towards the promised land. And on their way there, God stops the people and they meet in the desert at Mount Sinai with God. And the incredible thing, you can read about it and right before Exodus chapter 20, this cloud of fire and lightning and thunder comes down over the top of the mountain as Moses meets with God. The Bible says that God's glory lit everything up. And in that moment, God gives Moses and his people the Ten Commandments and so much more. And in doing so, God's design was this, to give them these commandments in order to draw his people close to himself, deeper and closer and more intimate in a relationship with them so that they would see, know, and understand what we just sang about, that there is nothing better than knowing God. And in addition to that, God gave them these commands to help them flourish in their relationships with one another to experience all that God has, the goodness of all that God has in relationships with each other. And if you've got your Bible open to Exodus 20, you can see that the first several commandments are about our vertical relationship with God and the way that we interact with him, the way that we grow with him, the way that we can become more intimate in our relationship with him. And then you can see a shift where God begins to say, okay, that's how you, you, you worship me and connect with me. And now here is how you deal with and love and be in community with the people around you. It's right there in the Ten Commandments to draw us close to him and to set us up for success in the relationships that God has placed us in as well. That being said, the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, we're on the Seventh Commandment this morning, and it says this. It's another short one. You shall not commit adultery. That's what God tells to his children, to his people, to help them flourish in their love relationships with him and with one another, to set them up for God's absolute best in their life, right? It's a pretty self-explanatory commandment. God is telling his people not to take something that's good, 
Not to take something that, that he has designed, and that's marriage. We see it in Genesis 2, 24, where God says, Therefore a man will leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. God is saying, listen, don't take that, that good gift of marriage that I have designed and bless you with, and bring something into it that's going to cause pain and disruption to the relationship. We know that, that adultery is intimacy with someone that, that we're not married to, something that, that comes into the relationship. We know that intimacy between a man and a woman should be experienced only in the covenant relationship of marriage, which was created by God, is from God, and it's a good thing that God has blessed us with. And as we read this commandment, we need to understand and realize that God is not taking something away from us. Here, God is asking us not to take something away from ourselves. And as we unpack it this morning, we're going to see that, that God takes this very seriously, that God is for marriage. He's pro-marriage. In fact, if you're taking notes, we're going to let this thought frame our time together this morning as we unpack this very short commandment together, and that's simply this. God values marriage. If you're taking notes, that goes at the top, and everything else is going to flow out of that thought. In fact, I think that the, one of the greatest gifts... One of the greatest blessings that God has given us was the way that he designed us, the way that he created us for relationships, to, to need people, to be around people. He created us to know him, and he created and designed marriage in order for us to walk through and do life together. And in his word, we've got this incredible picture of what it looks like, starting in Genesis with Adam and Eve and all the way forward to the New Testament church where God talks about the marriage relationship of a man and woman as a picture of Christ's relationship with a church. So he shows us what it should look like, and he tells us how to flourish in it, and a big part of that is right here, where he tells us adultery shouldn't be a part of it. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 32, God's word says this, he who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. Adultery is taking God's design of marriage and bringing into it something that brings pain. Something that brings pain to us, to our spouse, to our families, to our kids. Something that brings pain into the life of the person that we commit adultery with and to their family as well. And God's word tells us as we continue reading that, that it's a sin against God himself. It's a big deal. It's a serious thing. Right? I have a friend um, that lives uh, several states away that, that just a couple months ago, he, he went down a road. Right? He made made one choice after another that, that led him to a, a pretty difficult place. He emotionally got connected to another person. He mentally got connected to another person. He began to nurture a relationship with another person that he was not married to. In fact, this person was married to someone else. And, and not a day later, not a week later, not a month later, but several months, almost a year later, the nurturing of this relationship led him to a place where, where he was physically intimate with someone that wasn't his spouse. He brought an incredible amount of pain to a lot of people with the decisions that he made. Listen, here's the deal, right? It, God had given him something good. God had blessed him with an amazing thing. And, and through these choices that he made, he, he lost his marriage relationship. He's lost a relationship with his kids. And he's fractured a whole bunch of other relationships because he brought something in that only brings pain. And it's possible that your family, too, has experienced something like this. And so you know firsthand the pain that comes from this. Maybe you've walked closely with another family that's walked through the pain of this. And if you've lived it, 
if you've experienced it, if you've seen it, if you have been close to it, then it's incredibly clear to you why God commands us to stay away from us, to stay away from it. Remember that these commandments are just to draw us close to God, but they're also to set us up for success with one another so that we can have life and flourish in the relationships that God has given us. And living out this command, staying away from fleeing adultery is essential to flourishing in our relationships with one another, and it's critical to maintaining the family the way that God has designed our families to be. This past week on, on Thursday at lunch, I was uh, eating lunch with a group of guys that, that I'm walking through the Bible with. We pick a couple of books at a time, and we read through it, and then we sit down and, and drill down in our notes, and it's just an incredible time. And, and we brought up this commandment because they knew that we were going to be talking about it on Sunday, and one of the guys said something that has stuck with me ever since that lunch on Thursday afternoon. He said this. He said, better men than me have made the mistake and given in to adultery. He went on to say, I've got to make sure that I do everything I can to protect my marriage and to protect my family. And he's absolutely right. right? This is something that, that all of us need to be aware of, protecting our marriages if we're married. If we're single, protecting a future marriage that God might have in store for us. If we're not married, if we don't think that we will get married, protecting the marriage relationships of the people that we love, that God has placed in our lives as well. No matter who we are, we see that God values marriage here and that we should do everything we can to value marriage as well. And as we do that, as we continue to unpack what God's word says here, here's what we need to understand. That, that, that adultery that's talked about here is not only a physical thing. Jesus teaches on this commandment in Matthew chapter 5. If your Bible's still open, flip over there and look in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 27. Jesus shows us that it's much more than just physical intimacy. Jesus shows us that there's something going on in our heart that takes us to that place. Matthew 5, 27, Jesus says this. These are his words. He said, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. When Jesus says, you've heard it said, Jesus is talking about the Ten Commandments. He's talking about Exodus 20. He's talking about Moses going up on the mountain, going before God, and getting this to bring back to the people. Jesus said, hey, you know that Moses was up there. You know Moses brought this back to our ancestors, to the people of God, to the children of Israel. And I'm affirming that. We should not do that. But in verse 28, Jesus continues talking, and he takes it a step farther. Jesus says, but I say to you, anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus' words show us that, that this is about much more than a physical thing. Jesus shows us that this is about safeguarding the gift of marriage so that the family can flourish. As we've gone through the Ten Commandments, we have already seen that, that God's design of passing down the faith from one generation to the next, that the knowledge, the understanding of God, the love of God, the good works of God, the faithfulness of God, all of that, it goes from one generation to the next through the family that God's created. And so marriage and that relationship that God has given us is absolutely foundational to the passing down of the faith. God values marriage. God values family. And here he tells us, you shall not commit adultery to protect us, to allow us to flourish, to allow us to be happy, to allow us to experience the joy that comes from knowing one another, and to ensure that the family is whole, to ensure that the family is intact and, and God's word can pass down from one generation to the next. And here's the thing. We see in the words of Jesus that it starts in our eyes and it starts in our hearts. And if we could just think about this candidly for a minute. 
As we see what Jesus says here about adultery, it, it can be a sobering thought, right? Because this is a commandment that we would look at as we walk through Scripture. And if we just look at it really quickly, we could easily say, hey, you know what? This isn't something I need to worry about. I've never done this. I don't plan on doing this. My marriage is great, or I'm not even married, so I'm going to keep on cruising through here. But Jesus says, slow down. Jesus says, hold on just a minute. Consider your eyes. Consider your mind. And consider your heart. He's telling us that it starts there. And we know that adultery brings pain to the most important relationships we have, our relationship with God and our relationship with our family. So, so knowing that and knowing that God is for us, knowing that God values marriage, that he has designed us for something good, how can we live in obedience to this command? How can we walk it out in the way that the God intends so that we can flourish and live a life full of joy and meaning in our relationship with him and others. And I think there's three things. If you're taking notes, let me just leave us with three things that we can do to respond to the fact that God values marriage. And the first thing is very, very simple. It's simply invest in marriage, right? Invest in marriage. And if you are not married here, do not check out on me, okay? This is for every single one of us. We know that God values marriage, that it's foundational to the family and the way that God moves it forward, and all of us should be investing in it. So let me just say, if you are married now, invest in your marriage, right? Elbow your spouse and say, hey, listen, we are going to invest in our marriage. Things are great. We're going to take the next step and make it even better. Elbow them and say, hey, listen, we've had some rough patches recently, but we're going to invest in it and pursue God the way he's called us to. Or maybe even elbow them and say, listen, we are barely hanging on right now, but we know that God values marriage. This is a gift that God has given us, and we're going to fight for it, doing everything that we can to invest in it day in and day out. And it, say, if you're single now, if you're not married, if you're a teenager, the same thing applies to you. You can live in a way now that invests in the future relationships and the future possible marriage that God has in store for you as well. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 says this, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Listen, marriage should be held in honor. Husbands and wives, we're called to honor one another in our relationship. It matters. Let me encourage you to invest in your marriage. Focus on one another. Love one another. Serve one another. And in doing so, and your eyes and your heart will be kept on the one that God has you in a relationship with. If you're thinking, okay, I want to do that. I want to invest in my marriage, but I'm not sure where to start. Here's four things. None of these are revolutionary. None of these are groundbreaking, but all of these matter and are important. The first way you can invest in your marriage is simply spending time together with your spouse. Intentional time with the TV off. Intentional time without the kids around. Intentional time where you're talking to one another, where you're connected to one another, where you're drilling down and going deep on what's going on in your heart and in your lives. Several weeks ago, Chelsea and I went on a trip, and as we were getting our suitcases out to pack up, our kids ran into the room so excited about going on a trip, and we had to break the news, guys, y'all aren't going anywhere, right? This, this is mom and dad time. You guys are staying here with your grandparents, and we're going to go off to invest in one another because because we know it's good, and we know it's right, and we know it's needed, and we need that time away to escape what's going on in the day-to-day -day and to just plug in to one another. Find time to spend with your spouse and make it meaningful. Make it count. The second thing that we can do as married couples or as those that we are seeking to be married is pray together. 
right? Find a pattern in your life where you are praying consistently with your spouse and then again with your family. The things that that are going on in your life, pray to God together about them. Your hopes, your dreams, your kids, your future, your struggles, your successes, your failures, everything, right, that's going on in your life, pray with your spouse about that. And in doing so, God has this way of knitting our hearts together in a truly remarkable way. The third thing is this, is get in the Word of God together, right? Open up God's Word, read together, do a devotional together, think about Scripture and all that God has shown us together, and God will use it in a big way in your marriage. And the third thing is this, or sorry, the fourth thing is this, to invest in your marriage, get in a small group together. Be connected with other believers that love you that love God, and that are committed to seeing you flourish in your relationship with him and one another. One of my favorite things in the world is to do weddings uh, and to get to, to walk with a couple through this exciting time in their life. And, and I like to call couples about a year after they've been married and just check up on them and say, how's it going? What are you guys doing? What are you learning? How has God been at work in this first year of your marriage? And I talked to a couple several years ago after having done their wedding and said, hey, just tell me about it. How's it going? And they said, hey, listen, the first six months were sort of hard for us. We were trying to figure out life. We were trying to figure out living together. We were trying to figure out this whole marriage thing. But then six months in, something changed everything. It was revolutionary for our life. And every wedding you do from now on, tell couples this. So I'm just passing on what they share with me. They said, getting in community with other Christians changed everything for us. Finding Christian friends in our life stage that cared about us, that loved us, that wanted to see us succeed and walk with Jesus with us changed it all. And it was an absolutely groundbreaking thing for us. My wife, Chelsea, and I, we, we've experienced the same thing, being surrounded by godly people in the same stage of life of, of us that, that love us, that support us, that pray with us, that laugh with us, that cry with us, has been revolutionary in our marriage together and in our walks with Christ. So let me just say that, that if you are not in a group, if you don't have that Christian community, we call them life groups here at Champion Force, plug into one. Find some people that that know you, that love you, that care about you, and walk through life with them. And I promise you, God will use it in a major way in your marriage. Right? Students, teenagers, young people that are listening now that might not be married, invest in your marriage now by walking with Jesus. Invest in your marriage now by honoring him with the relationships that you have. Invest in the future marriage that, that God might bless you with one day by living in purity before him, and God will use that in a powerful way. The next way that that we can invest in our marriage, and this is for all of us as well, and bear with me, I'm going to explain this after I say it, so don't laugh at me too hard, it's this, it's fill your minds with what is awesome, okay? Fill your mind with awesome things. Jesus said before adultery is ever physical, what is it? It's in our minds and in our hearts. We see in Philippians chapter 4 that we're to be full of good stuff. And there's this whole long list in Philippians 4, 8 of good stuff. I just summarized all the good stuff and called it awesome. But listen to it. Philippians 4, 8, God's word says this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right or pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. God's word tells us that our minds should be full of good things. Our minds should be full of pure things, godly things, holy things. Or if you want to put it all together, God's word says that our minds should be full of awesome things because what goes on in our minds is important. 
what goes on in our minds. It shapes us. It drives us. It penetrates our hearts from our mind. And knowing, knowing that this commandment is about our minds and our hearts as well, knowing that, that God has told us not to commit adultery, we cannot look at what Jesus says here and not address a huge issue in our culture and in our world today. And that's the issue of, of pornography. It is battling for the hearts and for the minds of so many people right now. One researcher calls it the quiet marriage killer, with over 56% of divorces having one or both spouses actively, actively engaged in it. Studies show that 43% of all internet activity is pornographic. 43%, think about that. Think about the, the amazing amount of traffic that that is. Statistically speaking, the number of men and women who in the past four weeks have viewed, seen, or been exposed to it is incredibly high. And, and at this point, the, the medical community is starting to ring the alarm bells and say, we've got a problem here. Secular magazines and newspapers that are doing research on people and human behavior are saying that, that this is destructive to hearts and minds. This is destructive to brains and to bodies. Essentially, they're agreeing with what God's word says in Proverbs 6.23. He who commits adultery lacks sense and he destroys himself. Our minds should not be on someone we're not married to in person, on a screen, or in a book. Instead, our minds should be on godly things, on awesome things. What we allow into our minds fills our hearts. The great writer, Paul David Tripp, what he says about this is, is impactful. He says, you need to face the fact that your body will wander where your heart has already gone. Did you hear that? He says, we need to face the fact that our bodies will wander where our hearts have already gone. God's word tells us to think about what is excellent, what is praiseworthy, what is pure, what is good, because he knows that's what's going to go down into our hearts. And I would just say this morning to encourage you, if, if you're struggling with filling your mind with, with things that are not good, that are not excellent, pure, and praiseworthy, commit this morning to taking steps that, that we and see in God's word to ensure that your mind is pure, that your mind is dwelling on the things of God. James chapter 5 says, hey, listen, what, when, when you find yourself in this situation, to press pause and ask someone for help. Reach out and say, hey, listen, this is what's going on in my life and in my heart, and I need you to step in because you love me, because you for me, because you are there and you care about me. Reach out to someone and ask them to step in to your life. Talk to a friend. Talk to a life group leader. Talk to a pastor and say, hey, listen, this is going on in my life, and I need some help to ensure that in my mind I'm thinking about what is good, what is pure, right, and holy, because I know that that's going to shape my heart. Listen, God values marriage. We've got to invest in our marriages. We've got to think about what is good, what is awesome, and that's all possible through our final step this morning. And it's simply this, it's get close to Jesus, right? God calls us to draw close to him. He gave us the Ten Commandments. He gave us his word so we can know him, so that we can draw close in a relationship with him. Look at the screens behind me. I think on this side they're going to have a little graphic up there, and I want to explain this first. You've got this distance or the separation between Jesus 
and between us. And if you're a, a child of God, if you've trusted in Christ, that that's not to, to say there is this big distance between you. God's word says in Matthew 28, he will never leave us or forsake us. Romans 8 tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. In John and in the book of Matthew, Jesus says, listen, I am holding you in my hands and nothing can pull you out or separate me from the love that I have for you. But look at that graphic and, and let it represent maybe the intimacy that we might have with God right now. If we're not spending time in the word of God, if we're not in prayer before God, if we're not worshiping with God, if we have filled our schedules up to be so busy where we don't have time to gather with other believers and be encouraged to pursue God, it's possible that we'll feel like there's a separation in our relationship with him. It's possible that we'll feel distant from him, that we'll feel separated from him, that we won't feel deep and close and intimate in our daily walk with him. But that changes as we draw close to him. That changes as we begin to make him a priority, spending time in the word, spending time on our relationship with him. And as that changes, we have this renewed sense of peace and joy that comes not only from knowing God, but from walking in intimacy with God. That song we sang, Lord, there is nothing that is better than you. This is it. And it's our chance to draw close to him in all that we say and all that we do. And here's the incredible thing. Think about if you're married. If you're married and your spouse is doing the same thing and also drawing close to Jesus, there is a natural thing that is inevitable that is going to happen as you and your spouse draw closer to Jesus together as well. The distance between the two of you gets shorter and shorter and shorter. And if we draw close to Jesus together, the only possible outcome is for us to draw closer to one another in marriage as well. Listen, we don't, we don't need a strategy. We, we don't need some big 12-step plan to, to, to live out a married life the way that God has called us to live it out. We just need Jesus. We need to walk with him and draw close to him. And as we do, he is going to draw us close to one another. So as we read this and see that God values marriage, my prayer is that, that we would live as people investing in our marriage, filling our minds with the right things as we draw close to Jesus. And here's what I know, that when we gather together on Sunday mornings as a church family, we, we come from various backgrounds. We come from various uh, current life situations as well. And you might be thinking, listen, what, what we talked about today, adultery and the fact that God values marriage, listen, that's been a part of my story. And it's been a part of my life, and it's something that I've had to walk through. My family has had to walk through, but God's been good to me, and God's given me the grace to walk that out. But you might also be thinking that, hey, listen, you know what? It's part of my story right now. And you're thinking, I, I, I understand what happens in the midst of this. I want to lean in. I want to draw close to Jesus, but I'm not sure if I can. I'm not sure what my first step would be. I'm not sure how to get back to where I know God's calling me to be. And if that's you, let me just encourage you with a story this morning. In John chapter 8, Jesus is teaching. And he's in the temple. And, and he's standing there. And, and, and there would be a group that would be gathered around him as he is explaining the scriptures, the word of God. And, and all of a sudden, the doors in the back bust open. And this group comes in. And, and they've got this woman who was literally caught in the act of adultery. And she was thrown down in, in front of everyone and in front of Jesus. And, and the crowd continues to gather around and, and some in the crowd get vocal and get loud. And, and they're waiting and hoping for Jesus to make an example out of this woman. They're hoping that, that Jesus will condemn her. They're hoping that Jesus will call for, for some drastic form of punishment to come down on her and the one that she was in 
adultery with. That's not at all what happened. But when she found herself before Jesus, she found herself forgiven. When she found herself in front of Jesus, she found herself restored. She found herself made whole. Jesus looked at her and forgave her. Jesus looked at her and said, you're pure. Jesus looked at her and said, you're mine. And then Jesus picks her up, sends the crowd away, invests in her. And as he sends her out, he encourages her to, to live in a way from that point forward that would bring glory and honor to him. He encourages her to go forward walking with him in a deep and abiding love relationship with him. And so my prayer this morning for all of us is this, is that as we find ourselves before Jesus, that we'd walk away restored that we'd walk away encouraged knowing that, that God is for us, that God forgives us, that he's really ready, willing, and able to, to walk with us through anything that we have been through, through anything that we're going through, or through anything that we might face in the days and in the weeks ahead. God values marriage. He values the relationships that he's given us, and he's given us his word to ensure that, that we can have the fullness of joy the fullness of happiness in this life that comes from knowing him and living in relationship with one another. Would you pray with me? Just take a moment with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, and, and I just want to invite you to think about a couple of things as we wrap up our time together. And the first is this. If you would say, hey, my marriage is in a great place, let me just encourage you to take it to the next level. Right, and invest in your marriage and use your marriage to invest in the marriages around you. Love on people and help them to succeed. Come alongside them. If you would say, my marriage is in a tough place right now, let me encourage you to walk out of here today ready to fight for it, knowing that, that God values it, that, that it is a gift from God, and, and, and that, God, that God can do an incredible, incredible work there. If we can help, and we'd love to come alongside you. We'd love to pray with you. We would love to give you the support and encouragement you need to walk out a godly marriage. If you would say that, you know what, this morning, I'm in a place where we're just mentally filling my minds with things I shouldn't, looking at things that I shouldn't, and I'm ready to stop. I'm ready to move forward with something better that God has for me. I'm ready to be free from this thing. And if that's you, be willing to take that step. Your action step today is to go before God and to ask for forgiveness and to go before a brother or sister in Christ and say, hey, help me with this. Walk alongside me. If you don't have someone, let it be us. We'd love to pray with you and help you as you walk that out. And if you would say this morning, you know what? a lot going on in my life and maybe for the first time I realized I cannot do it alone. I need to do it in a relationship with Jesus. I'm ready to trust in him. If you would say that and you don't know Jesus or you're not sure that you're in a relationship with God because of Jesus. When we wrap up in just a minute, we're going to sing another song and we're going to walk out and on the left side, that left exit right there, there's a little side door. It's our prayer room. We're going to have people and pastors there that just want to pray with you. They want to open up God's word together with you. So if you need prayer for your marriage, if you need prayer for what's going on in your life, or if you're ready to know Jesus or any other thing that we can do to love on you and serve you, meet us there. We'd love to pray with you about whatever it is God's doing in your heart this morning. 
God, we love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you that you gave it to us so that we can know you and walk with you. And and God, we thank you that that you designed us to flourish in our relationships with one another as well. And this morning, God, I pray that we do that, that we lean into your word so we can experience the joy and the fullness that comes from knowing you. So in your name we pray, amen. Do you stand with us as we worship?